hosts of Common Sense Investing have been helping their clients and listeners make sense of the markets for nearly three decades. Using a conservative, diversified, value-oriented approach to investing, they strive to make you a better educated, well-informed investor. And now here's your host, Eric Whiteman. Well, welcome to this edition of Common Sense Investing. I'm your host, Eric Whiteman partner here at the XML Financial Group. It is the second week of summer school, and no, we won't be going outside for recess because it's just too darn hot. Last week, we talked about planning for your future. If you missed it, you should really go back and give that show a listen because I believe that planning is the key to it all. And since you've listened to the show, I'm going to assume that you've worked on having a plan. So now we can start talking about the investment part of it all. When you're building a well-diversified portfolio, you're probably going to want to have some cash, bonds, and stocks in it. Maybe even some hard assets like gold or silver. But for today, we're only going to be focusing in on the stock portion. We just don't have time to talk about everything. The stock side is what I love to do. Always have. It's my hobby. It's my profession. I'm a conservative value investor, which means I'm cheap. I'm looking for good businesses run by good managers that are growing and selling for reasonable prices. I don't ask for much, right? That's how I suggest you approach your investments, at least most of your investments. I want you to think of it as if you're buying a piece of the business because you are, or even you're buying the whole business. If you're buying a business, you're going to want to make sure that it's making money. You don't want to buy something that's going to require you to keep pumping money into it day after day after day on a hope and a prayer that, well, someday it'll turn around and make money for me. As you build your portfolio of equities, I want you to ask yourself two questions. One, is this a good business? And two, what price do I want to pay for it? Let's start with question number one. Is this a good business? The only way you're going to know that is if you understand it. Don't buy something that you don't reasonably understand. Stay where you're competent. You probably understand what Apple does and what Microsoft does, but there are other areas that you probably don't understand. Stay away from them. When you look at a business, you want to make sure that it has good end markets, meaning There's a steady growing demand for their services or their products for the foreseeable future. For example, in 1910, it would have done you absolutely no good, no good to go out and buy the best buggy whip manufacturer on the planet because their product was about to become obsolete, thanks to Henry Ford. That's why most value managers like the financial stocks, the banks, the insurance companies, because they aren't going away anytime soon. I don't know what you'll be driving in 20 years, or maybe it's what's driving you around, but I'm willing to wager that you'll be paying insurance on it. You want a good, solid business that's being run by competent managers in the interest of the shareholders. You, you're the shareholder. And this is a hard thing to judge. Sometimes people get blinded by the returns that the company has had, and they don't see beyond that. When you're doing your research, one of the things you have to do, you have to do, is read the company's annual report. 
Actually, you should be reading the last five years worth of annual reports. And at the beginning of this annual report, there is a letter, a letter from the guy or the gal that runs the company. And you want to compare these letters and what they're saying year over year. Did one year they make a promise or a big deal out of something? And then the next year, there's no mention of it. It just kind of disappeared. If you see these types of inconsistencies, well, that might be a red flag for you. Basically, what you're looking for is a business that's growing, a business that's providing a service or a product that's not going away anytime soon, a business run by good managers for your interest. And let's say that you came across one that you're interested in. Now you have to answer the second question. And the second question is a bit harder to answer. What price do I want to pay for it? And there's no magic bullet here. You can't just say, oh, we paid 10 times earnings or less for every business. Because what works well in valuing one business may not work so well for another business. Let's break out the toolbox and let's talk about some of these tools that you can use to evaluate or value a stock. And probably the one you hear about most is the P.E. ratio, the price to earnings ratio. If a stock is trading at $10 and it earns a dollar a share per year, then the stock is trading at 10 times earnings. A tech stock is going to be valued differently than a consumer staple stocks uh, stock. So there is no right P.E. to target here. What I suggest is two things. First, you look at what price people have been willing to pay for the business over the last five or 10 years. If it's trading below that long-term average, well, then you might be onto something. You also want to consider a business's relative PE. When the market goes up, people are willing to pay more for stocks. And when it goes down, well, people are paying less for stocks. A relative PE lets you adjust for that. And I love using Value Line. No, they don't pay me or give me a subscription. I pay for my own subscription. But Value Line gives me 15 years of data at a glance. So I can look and see if a stock is trading for more than it usually does compared to itself and relative to the market. And here's an example for you. Apple, which is symbol AAPL. Last year, it got up to over $230 a share. We were all, whoa, this is great. That's darn near 18 times earnings and pretty close to what the market was trading at. But if you had looked at value line, you probably would have noticed that for the last seven or eight years, the stock was trading hands at only about 12 times earnings and at a 30% discount to what the market was trading at. So you would have looked at this and said, this is the most expensive it's been in a long, long time. And hopefully you wouldn't have bought any. As I said, there is no right multiple to pay. I would argue that you want to pay more for a high quality, predictable company than a low quality, unpredictable company. That's for sure. Sometimes you may not even want to look at the PE because it's essentially meaningless. But a good example of that would be when you're looking at the REITs or the Real Estate Investment Trust. And the reason is, is because of accounting standards, they're depreciating their properties or the buildings that they own, just like you would if you had a rental house. And we all know that over the long term, these properties aren't declining in value, 
but they're probably actually actually increasing in value. So for REITs, you want to look at cash flow. A better metric from uh, for REITs is actually funds from operations or FFO or even adjusted FFO. One of my favorite things to look at when I'm evaluating a stock is free cash flow. The cash. Free cash flow or what some people refer to as owner's earnings. Like I said, you want to buy businesses that are making you money. And I'm going to show you how to figure out free cash flow, a simple way of doing it. And let's stick with Apple because I've mentioned them already. If you went to their website and you pulled up the investor section of it, you look up uh, their filings, you'll see their annual report on Form 10K. And you want to scroll through that until you get to the consolidated statements of cash flow. This is what you need to do a simple free cash flow calculation. Write this down. You take the net income and you add back in the depreciation and amortization because those aren't cash charges. And then you subtract out capital expenditures. That's what they need to keep the business running. You subtract those out. And I like using a five-year average for capital expenditures. If you do that, if you work the numbers, you'll see that Apple is generating free cash flow of about $14 a share. That's a good number. That's $14 a share after they've already invested back into the business to keep it running. With free cash flow, there's only so much you can do with it. You can pay down debt. You can buy another company, do a merger, increase your R&D, and you can pay a dividend and buy back stock. And those are good for me as a shareholder. And you can go another step further if you want to and look at the free cash flow yield. A lot like PE, if you take the free cash flow and divide it by the stock price, in this case, in the case of Apple, it would be $14 in free cash flow divided by a stock price of $205. And that gives you darn near a 7% yield. That's pretty darn good. Let's take a look at one last tool that you can use to evaluate stocks. And it's usually most effective for financials like the banks. It's price to book, price to book value. Basically, all the assets get added up and all the liabilities get subtracted out. And then you end up with book value. That's how much the company is worth. If it goes bankrupt and they liquidate everything, well, you know about how much you should get theoretically. Well, let's face it. If you're a railroad and you go under and you try to sell off 100 locomotives, it might be a little hard and you most certainly won't get the price that you were expecting. But I think book value is handy for banks and insurance companies. And if you want to take this one step further, you can look at tangible book value. That basically wipes out the effects of goodwill, another non-cash item. So there you have it. Three ways that you can use to value a stock. And as I said, there is no one way. There is no magic bullet. You have to do your homework. And that means working the numbers. You have the PE ratio or you could use the relative PE. You could look at the company on a cash flow basis, free cash flow, or you can look at it from a book value perspective, or maybe all three. I hope these three metrics are helpful um, and you find them useful. I'll tell you, that's about all we have time for today. We'll be back 
next week with the final session of summer school, and we'll be talking about asset allocation. Until then, remember, it's just as important to protect your assets as it is to grow. This is Eric Whiteman. This is Common Sense Investing, and we are done for this week. Okay, you've listened to the show. Now it's time for the really good stuff. So listen up. It's the disclosures. The things I talked about during the show, well, they're just my opinion and may or may not necessarily be those of the XML Financial Group. Don't construe this as personalized advice or a solicitation to buy or sell a security. No, no. You should consult your own financial advisor to see if it's appropriate for you. It's also not a substitute for tax or legal advice. I'd suggest you get someone who's qualified in these areas so you can get the advice you deserve. When you're talking about asset allocation, diversification, rebalancing, they don't guarantee better results and they don't eliminate the risk of losses. In investing, there are no guarantees. Just because you use these strategies doesn't mean you'll outperform someone or something who doesn't. XML Financial LLC is an independent registered investment advisor.